another hope-filled message from Life. For more information about our church, visit lifeau.org. I love it like the once every 15 months, Pastor Craig and Nadia invite me over. Because it's like, honestly, it, I mean, that part wasn't a joke. That's realistically. But the other part that's, that's not a joke is when you're in something week in and week out, you can become very familiar with it. Like, sometimes people will come to my house and see my kids who haven't, they haven't seen them for like six or eight months and they'll be like, whoa, what happened to you? You grew up and matured. You hear that every time I walk into Melbourne, I'm like, whoa, what happened here? Like you're growing and taking over the city. Never get comfortable with what God is doing because can, can I tell you, this isn't normal. What God is doing, this is not normal. We're a part of something really special that I believe in years to come, we'll look back and go, remember when we just had that one 5 p.m.? And there was a few hundred of us in a room and we could find a seat really easily and we could find a park really easily. Look where God has brought us now. You know what I reckon? I reckon as Christians, we should wake up every Sunday like a kid on Christmas Eve. Like, God, what are you going to do today? And then during the week, God, what are you doing this week? And I just want to say as part of your family who is like the crazy uncle that visits at Christmas, can can I say this? What God is doing here is nothing short of supernatural. And to the technical team, the, the technical team and the arts team, I've got to tell you, I was standing down there during praise and worship and I had one of those, whoa, is this the same team moment? Because what God has done in you and through you since last time I was here, you are leading with strength and authority and the sound coming out is amazing. Can we give these guys and these guys a huge, huge hand? It is awesome, awesome, awesome. Give someone a handshake, a hug or a high five, whatever is appropriate. Don't make it awkward. Don't make it weird. You know, we're trying to be good parents. I've got a 16-year-old girl. I have a 14-year-old girl. And I have a 7-year-old boy. So we're trying to be good parents. And my, my little boy, we're trying to teach him how to read the Bible and stuff and The kid can't sit still for five minutes, let alone read the Bible. So my wife ordered him a Minecraft Bible. Literally, it's it's a Bible in Minecraft. Like it's it's a whole deal in Minecraft. Now the kid can't wait to read his Bible now. So every night we read the Minecraft Bible, and we read all about. You know how weird it looks, Noah's Ark in Minecraft blocks. Like it's just weird. So the other week we read David who loved God so much that he danced before God in his undies, the Minecraft Bible says. The Minecraft Bible says David danced before, danced, come on, I'm in the motherland. David danced before God in his undies. So I get up at like 6.30 one morning and Judah is headed for the front door in his tidy whitey Spider-Man undies. I'm like, bro, what are you doing? He's like, if David can do it, I'm like, well, can't you can't you remember the part where it's like honor your mother and father, 
put the dishes away. Like you don't remember that part, but you remember dance outside in your undies. If I was to ask you who your favorite character in the Bible was, who would it be? Like hopefully most of us would say Jesus because as a Christian, (laughs) hand up if your initial thought was not Jesus. Oh, (laughs) wow. (laughs) We need to preach Jesus here more often. Hey, uh, if I I was to ask you who your favorite person in the Bible was, who, who would it be? Maybe for some of the ladies and... Some of the men, maybe you're like, man, I, I want the brains and the beauty of Esther. Yeah. Maybe for some of us, maybe I want the wisdom of Solomon. But maybe for others of us, I want the passion and the legacy of the Apostle Paul. Like, who is your favorite person in the Bible? Anyone love the Bible? Yeah. Anyone believe that it's not just fictional characters, but they're real people with real stories? So so if I was to ask you, who was your favorite? Then if I was to ask you, who are you most like in the Bible? I wonder how that would change. Like, I wonder whether you're completely unfiltered and unpredictable like the apostle, like the the disciple Peter. You know, Peter only ever opened his mouth for one reason, to change feet, take the left one out, put the right one in. Like he was always putting his foot in his mouth. Uh, Maybe you're prone to dummy spits and tantrums like, like Moses. Maybe you've got a thousand wives like Solomon. If you do that, then you've got real problems. We've got a counseling department that, that can help you. Maybe, maybe in, in one moment you are extremely wise. I'm in a whole lot of planning meetings during the week and it still never ceases to surprise me when I'll be sitting there and I'll come up with an idea and someone will go, that's a really good idea. Like they're shocked a good idea could come out of, I'm like, well, I have one a day. I can go home now. I'm done. Like I'm spent. But maybe, maybe you've got really good ideas one moment and you're really silly the next moment. Come on. If, if, if that's you, then you're, you're in good company. Because when I look at the characters of the Bible, we're in the middle of an unmasked series. I, I look at the story of Jacob and I'm like, that's my story. Like Jacob, he's my boy. That is my story right now because he could be simultaneously smart and stupid all in one sentence. Come on, anyone anyone married? No, don't put your hand up. That's real weird. He could be both passionate and insecure all on the same day. Come on, anyone relate to my boy Jacob? He he could be servant-hearted and selfish all at the same time. But can I tell you, mostly what Jacob struggled with was not being selfish and not being silly. What Jacob struggled with was self-identity. At the root of all Jacob's problems was an identity problem. And I thank God we've got senior pastors who will put on series like Unmasked so that we don't have to live portraying something and being what people think we can be. But we can have a relationship with God and engage faults and all. Thank God for senior pastors who don't want a perfect church, but they want a passionate church. Who don't want a spotless church, but want a transparent church. In fact, side note, be praying for Pastor Paul and Marie who are on sabbatical at the moment. Let's believe God that they come back envisioned and refreshed and ready to lead us into the next series. But, but I've got a question for you. Why do we mask our lives? Why particularly in church life sometimes do we feel like we need to wear a mask? Why is it that 
There's a difference between who we really are and sometimes who we present ourselves to be. Why is there such a big gap on who I intend to be in the morning and who I end up being by the afternoon? I feel like the only alcoholic confessing at an AA meeting right now. Come on, anyone know what I'm talking about? That, that, that we, we wear much. You know, I love social media. I'm not a beat up social media. I, I'm all about social media. I love social media. You know, the original intent of social media was to bring down geography where distance wasn't such a big problem. And I've lived in three different countries in the world in my short little life, my young life. And uh, I love the fact that in social media, I don't have to wait for someone to send me a snail mail, but within an hour of them having a baby, I can know they've had a baby. That, that I can know what's going on in people's lives. But, but what we don't get is the true person. What we get is carefully selected, right filtered, Photoshop, nip and tucked, right photographs. I was at Hillsong a couple of weeks ago, and I don't know if you saw any of the posts at Hillsong, but they had this amazing stage. Like the whole flipping stage was a dove. Like the whole thing was a dove. And I saw people trying to take photos with getting their fat head in just the right angle so that the dove was in the background and just to get the right side. What happens if you're like me and you don't have a right side? Just take a photo of the back of the head. But they're trying to get the right angle and they would have taken 14 photos just to get the right one. Can I tell you, social media doesn't get the real us. It is the most masked environment in our society today. But Jacob shows us that even when we wear a mask really, really well, it's always uncomfortable. Even when we become experts at wearing a mask, it can never replace the real you. Even if you've perfected the art of presenting the right persona and presenting the right journey, it can never replace what's really going on on the inside. And I reckon we can learn a lot about wearing masks from Jacob's life. But we've got to go back to the beginning of his life because the, the circumstances of his birth set the trajectory of his life. So read with me on Genesis chapter 25. It says, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife. Husbands, that's a great thing to do. Because she was childless. Some of you need to write that down. Pray for my wife. Because she was childless. And the Lord answered his prayer and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her and she said, why is this happening to me? Any wives ever prayed that prayer while you're in the middle of pregnancy? Why is this happening to me? Why is it kicking my liver every five minutes? Why is this happening to me? You thought you had it bad. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. That sounds really uncomfortable to me. Like I've watched my wife carry one child, two nations. Tiff, I feel prophetic word coming over you for when you get, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. Don't miss that because in Jesus' days, the younger served the older. But God said to Rebecca, the older, will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first came out and he was red and his whole body was like a hairy garment. I've seen babies like that. 
neither of my daughters, but I've seen babies like that. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out and his hand was grasping Esau's heel. So they named him Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth. Andrew, 60 years old. It's not too late. It's not too late. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home amongst the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau. Catch this. But Rebekah loved Jacob. It's not a great start in life. The house of Isaac, the tent of Isaac was in shambles because dad loved the older son and mum loved the younger son. That's not a good home when there is favoritism. But in only just a few verses, I think here we see three reasons why we could be tempted to wear masks today. And I'm going to talk about them tonight, and then we're going to pray for some people. I'm going to believe God that tonight people are going to be set free. I'm going to believe God that tonight people are going to have the strength and the determination to walk out this week different than you did last week and drop the mask and be who God's created you to be. Can we pray? Father, tonight I pray that in these next few moments that you would speak to every one of us. God, that we would have, like we'll pray, an engagement and a connection with you. That, God, we wouldn't just hear a message, but there would be a divine exchange between heaven and us. That, God, we would walk out of here encouraged and equipped. God, I pray for those of us in here who have never been in church before or maybe only been in a couple of weeks. God, that tonight we would get a revelation of who Jesus is. That you love us and you're for us and your arms are towards us in Jesus' name. And everyone said, so three reasons why I think we attempted to wear masks. And the first one is this. We are born into a competitive world. You know, to get the full story of why Jacob was born into a competitive world, you actually have to go back one more generation to his granddad, his dad's dad, and his dad's dad's name was Abraham. And Abraham was married to a lady by the name of Sarah. And Abraham got a promise from God that through him and Sarah, there would be uh, so many offspring that it would be more numerous than the sand on the seashore. You thought two nations were uncomfortable. This is more kids than the sand on the seashore, more kids than the stars in the sky. And, and, and Abraham and Sarah get this promise from God. And what happens is after a period of years, the promise hasn't come to pass. How many know that God's promises should come with timestamps? Like, I will do this by then. I will do that. And it would be way easier to follow God if His promise came with a timeline, right? Again, the only alcoholic confessing at an AA meeting right here. The promises that I'm holding on to, God, would you just give me a hint like this week, next week, next month? So Abraham and Sarah are getting frustrated. And Sarah, who is Jacob's grandmother, says to Abraham, Jacob's grandfather, hey, this has taken too long and I don't think this is going to work. Why don't I give you my maidservant and you and her can have a child. And because God's promise isn't coming to pass as fast as we thought it should, we'll make it happen. We'll help God out. Come on, anyone ever known someone who helped God out? So Abraham and 
Hagar, who was the maidservant, have a child. And that child's name is Ishmael. The problem is that the promise was for Abraham and Sarah to have a child, not Abraham and Hagar. So Ishmael grew up knowing that he was like the second best. He was second rate. He wasn't really the fulfillment of the promise. He was like the second rate attraction. And then 14 years into Ishmael's life, Abraham and Sarah, the original promise, get pregnant and they give birth to a baby by the name of Isaac. And at that point, Ishmael knew, man, I... Isaac has got a place in my dad's heart that I can never get. Isaac is so special because he is the fulfillment of the promise. And you can read the story when Isaac is three years old, Ishmael begins to ridicule and persecute Isaac. What would cause a 17-year-old to ridicule a three-year-old? Because we're born into a competitive world. And Ishmael knew that this tiny little half-brother that was now in the house was actually the fulfillment of the promise of God. Fast forward two generations and Isaac now has his own family. And you think because Isaac grew up with his half-brother Ishmael giving him a hard time, he would have learned a lesson about favoritism. But it seems like the only lesson Isaac learned was to protect the favorite, was to hold on to the favorite. Come on, parents, have you ever had a moment where you speak to your kids, you're like, I promised I'd never sound like my mum or my dad. I promised I'd never react like them. Come on, anyone ever had that moment? I promise. God, help us to identify patterns that are in our generations. Isaac is repeating exactly the same thing that was in his life. Because Esau, here's the deal, Isaac then gives birth to Esau and Jacob. And Isaac, the dad, is favorites with Esau. But what he didn't know, what he realized, because Esau had the birthright. In Jesus' day, back before Jesus' day, the birthright meant you got double the inheritance of every other kid in your family. Here's the deal. When life is competitive, we get comparative. When we begin to compete, we begin to compare. Uh, I don't know, how many people love rugby over here? Okay, pause. You're all All Black supporters because you're a part of life. End of story. So a few weeks ago, there was a game between the All Blacks and the Lions, which was the deciding game in a test match, and they drew... That's like the state of origin. No, the state of origin. That's like the state of origin ending in a draw. Like what self-respecting sports team wants to end a series in a draw? The weirdest moment of me observing sport in my entire life was at the end of that game watching two captains holding the cup together. Like, uh, are we supposed to be happy here or... Like all the teams behind, like, uh, like do go to Golden Point, have an arm wrestle, do something. So we get a winner and a loser. No one in that moment in New Zealand stood up and went, well, you're all winners in my eyes. You all gave it your best shot, you little 
troopers you, go for it. You're, that, no, 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 no. Because competition in sport is good. Competition in business is good. There are certain arenas where competition is good because it, it helps us remove obstacles and remove distractions to get better and bigger. Competition becomes dangerous when it comes from a scarcity mindset. Competition becomes dangerous when it comes from a mindset that not everyone can win and therefore for me to win means you have to lose. And when we come into this world that is so full of competition, I've got to be doing better than that person. I've got to have a better house than that person. I've got to be further down my spiritual journey than that person. I've got to be able to react better than that person. Here's the deal. When competition is driven by a scarcity mindset, someone has to lose for me to win. So therefore, I'll wear any mask I have to to win. And this is exactly where we find Jacob and Esau. Because Jacob lost the most important race of his day, and that's being born first. Because the firstborn gets the birthright and double inheritance. Jacob, the Bible says, came out grabbing at his brother's heel. I wonder whether even in the womb there was something in Jacob that tried to pull his brother back for him to get out first because he was born into a world of competition. Here's the challenge with being built into a world of competition. We're all looking for worth. We're all looking for worth. We're hardwired for relationships. We're looking for validation and affirmation within others and other people in our world. It makes sense why we're conceived out of relationships. Your parents didn't go to the supermarket and buy a child. We are birthed out of relationship for relationship to engage in relationship. And here's the deal. As people and as individuals, we need family. We need friends. We need our church. We need people in our world to become all that God has called us to be. Yet here's the challenge with that. Where there is dysfunction in our environment, we take that dysfunction on. So in our relational world, where there is dysfunction, we take that dysfunction on. I grew up in a home that was extremely dysfunctional. My mum was an alcoholic. My dad had multiple affairs. There was physical abuse five nights a week. I used to pick up my mum five nights a week from the age of 12 to 18 and put her to bed because she drunk herself and passed out and I'd clean up the vomit and I grew up in a very dysfunctional environment but after 20 years of ministry I've realized this because I used to look at other people and go man my environment's dysfunctional their environment's functional I've learned this after 20 years in of ministry every family's dysfunctional it's just a question of what and how bad Delacy's dysfunctional. <laughs> Blowers, dysfunctional. Paul and Reed, dysfunctional. Craig and Nards, really dysfunctional. Every person is dysfunctional. See, Esau's name means red. Pretty creative, eh? Because the Bible said that when he came out, he was red, so they called him red. 
Lucky I didn't name my kids the first thought that came through my head, right? Ooh. Slimy? Screaming? Why'd you take 20 hours? (laughs) Esau's name means red. Jacob's name literally means heel grabber. Again, creative. If you dig a bit deeper in the original language, it means supplanter. It means not just a backup or replacement, but someone who becomes something else to get something they want. Jacob's name means someone who becomes someone else to get something they want. Now, in our Western world, names don't mean a whole lot. Like, my name is Scott Lee Thornton. When I was born, I was born in Singapore. Nige. I was born in Singapore. What? Just connecting. I was born in Singapore. Honestly, I was born in Singapore. Got a Singaporean citizenship. When my parents... When my parents decided my name, they decided Scott Andrew Thornton. When my dad went to the births, this is a true story. When my dad went to the births, deaths and registries, he couldn't fit Andrew on the line. So he wrote Lee and came home and told my mum, oh, I've changed his name. He's not Scott Andrew anymore. He's Scott Lee Thornton. And he spelt it the girl's way, L-E-I-G-H. It's one letter different. One letter. I don't care. Honestly, I don't care. But here's the deal. Names don't mean a whole lot in our culture. We just graduated a whole lot of life leadership college students. One of the students is a Malaysian man. His name is Jinwei Tan. Jinwei Tan is a doctor who believed God, believed that God asked him to give up a year of his practice to come in and do a year of Bible college at our Bible college. As we got to know Jin a little bit, we got to know his story. Jin is a family name. Like his brother's name's Jin, his cousin's name's Jin, his dad's name's Jin. Go to his house, there a Jin, here a Jin, everywhere a Jin Jin. Walk into his house and say, Jin, you got 40 people coming towards you. Like his name is, it's a family name. His name is Jin. Jin means kind. Wei is actually his unique name and it means great. We got to know Jin over the 12 months of college. You know that Jin's greatest fear is that he would become a faceless name within his family and amount to absolutely nothing. That his life would amount to nothing, that he would have no impact, that he would have no significant outworking. And he just felt like he was just one of many gins. But as he went through Bible college, his story, as he went through Bible college, he got a revelation that his worth was so much more than a name that someone else had given him but his worth was found in what God had deposited on the inside of him and as he began to discover what God had deposited on the inside of him he realized that his name kind and great was actually who God had called him to be but it didn't come from an external name it came from a revelation that my value doesn't come from what others see my value comes from who God created me to be and it changed the way he lived why Because we're born into a competitive world and we're all looking for worth. And thirdly, why do we wear masks out of Jacob's story? Because we're set up to be let down. What do you mean by that? I'm glad you asked. 
See, we're all hungry for validation and affirmation. Yet where there is imperfection and dysfunction, it will affect us. Whether you know it's affected you, whether you've discovered it's affected you, it's affected all of us. And Jacob grew up knowing that Isaac, his dad, loved Esau more. Why did Isaac love Esau more? I think a couple of reasons. Number one is he knew he was his first son and held the birthright. And number two, the Bible says that Esau was a man of the wild and Isaac was a man of the wild. Isaac allowed his own bias to shape the way he saw his own sons. And God, let us never be a church that allows our bias to shape the way we see people coming through those doors. Let us never be a church that allows our bias and our bent and the way we do life to either accept or write people off who come through those doors. But God, let us let every person that walks through those doors find open arms and acceptance and a place where they can grow and move forward in who God had created them to be. Because Esau was a man of the wild. Jacob, on the other hand, loved to be at home amongst the tents. He was a mama's boy. My 14-year-old daughter, if you ask her, her greatest goal in life is to be taller. Just to be taller, like to be taller. I'm like, babe, you can pray about that. And I'm believing God with you that during the night, He kind of grabs your head and your feet and stretches you out a little bit. But have you seen your mum and your dad? Like we're barely taller than garden gnomes. You're not working with great genes here. Like I don't think you're going to wake up one morning and be seven foot. Why don't you, yeah, believe God to be taller, but why don't you believe God to be taller in your faith and taller in your impact and taller in your words? Why don't you believe God to stand up on the inside? Because I've discovered that when our goals and our dreams in life are wrapped up in what we don't have, then when we get it, it actually doesn't fulfill like we think it would fulfill. See, Rebecca, who was Jacob's mum, knew what God had said to her. She knew that God had said, hey, the older will serve the younger. So one day when Esau came home, Esau may have been tough, but he was a whiny little brat. He came home and he said, hey, I'm starving. I'm going to die. Any parents heard that before? Uh, so, so Rebecca, the mum, works with Jacob and says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to offer him a bowl of stew and get him to trade his birthright for it. So Esau, in a moment, took a bowl of stew, gave his birthright up, not knowing what he'd just given up. But in Bible days, you can hold a birthright, but it's not activated until the father prays a blessing. So when Isaac was growing old, the dad was growing old, he says to Esau, the oldest son, go out, go hunting, Make me a bowl of stew. Once I've had a good meal, I'll pray over you and I'll give you my blessing and activate the birthright. Rebecca, the mum, hears this and says to Jacob, while Esau's out, go and kill a goat. Make a bowl of stew. We'll take the skin of the goat and put it over your skin so you're as hairy as your brother. How flippin' hairy was Esau? Skin of a goat. So anyway, so gets the skin of a goat, goes in, Sits before the father. He sits before the father looking like Esau, smelling like Esau, sounding like Esau. Can you hear a mask in that? He became Esau to get the blessing of his father. 
And in a moment, when Esau, his brother, heard about it, said, I'm going to kill him. And in one instant, Jacob got everything he ever wanted and lost everything he ever needed. And the Bible says that he fled for his life. He went to his uncle Laban's house and finds, up at his, finds himself at his uncle Laban's house. Ban, come on back and join me. Keep looking at me. I'm way better looking than them anyway. Goes to his uncle Laban's house and starts working for his uncle Laban. Sees a pretty lady that is in Laban's house. The, the pretty girl is one of Laban's daughters. Her name is Rachel. And Jacob says to Laban, hey, I'll work for you for seven years if I can marry Rachel. On the wedding night, Laban, here's the deal. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. Jacob has lived a life of deception. Gets to Laban's house and Laban says, yeah, you can have Rachel. Uh, you can have Rachel. Marries Rachel, who the Bible says is the pretty one. But Rachel has a sister who the Bible calls plain. Imagine that. Being known in the Bible as pretty and plain. But the Bible says that Laban, on Jacob and Rachel's wedding night, switches the pretty one for the plain one. Imagine up waking up the morning after your wedding. Ah! It's not a good morning. And the dysfunction continues on and on. Do you know what a mask does? A mask sends your dysfunction keep going down the generations. So Jacob works another seven years to get the pretty one. And after they get married, Leah and Rachel begin to fight. Laban and Jacob begin to fight. And Jacob says, I'm going to go home to my father. On the way home, something amazing happens. He has an encounter with God because he hears, if I go home, Esau still wants to kill me. Genesis 32, verse 24 to 30 says this, So, jo so Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with God. Sorry, and, and, he wrestled, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that the hip was wrenched as he wrestled the man. The man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Then the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Jacob, deceiver, supplanter. Then the man said, your, no your name will no longer be Jacob, but it will be Israel because you have wrestled with God and man and you have overcome. Church, never let anyone tell you that your wrestles and your challenge disqualifies you from the thing of God. But God says, when I really get you, I can change your name. When I really get you, I can change who you are. And the Bible says that Jacob said, please tell me your name. But the man replied, why do you ask me my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face. Yet my life was spared. For the first time in his life, Jacob took on a challenge face to face. He didn't put on a mask. He didn't 
put on goat skin. He didn't become someone else. For the first time in his life, he fought God face to face. So why do we let why do we dare let God be on the mask? We're about to pray for some people. Here's a couple of reasons. Number one, in a world that is competitive, God is not a limited resource. If we live with a revelation that God is not a limited resource, that we don't need to fear missing out from God. He's big enough for every single one of us. His love is enough. His acceptance is enough. His mercy is enough. His blessing is enough. He's not limited. Just because someone else is blessed doesn't mean you miss out. Your God is big enough to bless whoever says He will bless. He's not a limited resource. Secondly, When we're looking for worth, God gets the final say in our worth. Jeremiah 18, God sends the prophet down and the Bible says that the prophet comes to a place where he sees the potter in front of a wheel with clay molding and shaping. And the Bible says that it's the potter that has the right to discard or keep working with the clay. Here's the takeaway. God alone determines our value and it's His right to determine our value. And if there is breath in your lungs and if there is blood in your veins, He hasn't discarded you. He's still working with you like the potter works with clay, molding and shaping and fashioning and bringing the gold out of you. It's He who sets your worth, not your bank account, not your past failures, not your past successes. It is God who sets your worth. You don't need to wear a mask of worthiness. It's God who sets your worth. And thirdly, we don't need perfection to know perfection. Someone needs to hear this. We don't need perfection to know perfection. Hebrews 12 describes Jesus as the author and the finisher of our faith. And if a perfect God is willing to wrestle with our dysfunction, We don't need to pretend to be perfect. God wants to deal with us face to face. God would rather we wrestle honestly than hide behind a mask of of perfection. And tonight I've got a sense that there are people here and you've got caught up in a world of competition. Or maybe you've made some decisions because you're just looking for worth and affirmation. And maybe you've written yourself off because you see the challenges that no one else knows about. So you walk into the world presenting what you wish other people, what, what you hope other people would see in you. I've got news for you tonight. God's not a limited resource. I've got news for you tonight. God sets your worth. And I've got news for you tonight that the same God that started a good work in you is the same God that will carry it on to completion. And just like Jacob had a moment with God where he wrestled face to face, I believe tonight God wants to have a moment with us where He sees us face to face, where we can say, God, here I am, challenges and all. God, here I am, faults and all. God, here I am, poor thinking and all. Would you have access to who I really am? Because when you have access to realize who I am, 
really am. You have the ability to change who I really am. You can take me from Jacob to Israel, but only when I come to you as Jacob. Tonight, would you come to God as Jacob? Would you come to God with the faults you know you have and no one else knows? Would you come to God and say, God, here I am face to face. Thank you that I don't have to be perfect to know you. Every person standing to your feet. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, if tonight you say, Scott, I need to do some business with God. I've got caught up in a world of competition and I've seen this limited that I have to go after it and I have to make it happen. And maybe like Sarah and Rebecca, the promise of God has been delayed. So you've tried to make it happen tonight. Would you drop that stuff and say, God, here I am. Maybe tonight you've You've struggled with your worth because someone said something over you or someone's done something to you or you've made decisions. You say, God, I want to give it to you and have a face-to-face moment with you. If that's you tonight, I'm speaking to you. Would you lift your hand all over the room? Come on, let's have a face-to-face God moment. Say, God, here I am, challenges and all. God, here I am, failure and all. God, here I am, regret and all. God, here I am. The band's going to lead us in worship for a couple of moments. And I'd love to pray and I'd love our ministry team to pray over every person who says, you know what, enough's enough. I'm not living with masks anymore. I'm not living with a perception anymore. I want to deal with God face to face. I want this week my relationship with God to go to a whole nother level of transparency and intimacy so God can get the real me and change the real me and be a potter, a, a, a pot maker on the in front of the wheel and He's moulding and He's shaping. If that's you tonight, as the team worships and as the team leads us, would you step out of your seat and come on down the front? Come on, don't be embarrassed. Don't wait for someone. But if that's you tonight, step out of your seat. We want to pray for you. That you'd have the freest week you've ever had. If you put your hand up before, would you step out and let us pray for you tonight? We don't want to embarrass you. We want to stand with you and believe God for a God moment, for a God breakthrough. If you're not coming out, would you lift your hands and worship God? I know you saved me, and your grace will never fail me. While I'm waiting, I'm not waiting. No heaven lives in me. Come on, I will stay.
Jacob tried to manipulate the purposes of God. And I prayed a prayer that I haven't stopped praying from that day till this. God, let my eyes see the things that I'm passing on to the next generation that maybe I don't even know I'm passing on because I lived in an environment of dysfunction and that dysfunction got in me and I'm doing the best I can. I'm I'm not intentionally trying to screw up my kids. I don't set out every day going, God, let me deposit stuff they'll struggle with. But it, all of a sudden, I got this revelation of that Scripture that said the sins of the Father will be passed on to the third and the fourth generation. I don't reckon the enemy has to put a curse on it. I think it naturally happens if we don't say, Holy Spirit, reveal stuff to me that I can stop because the Bible says that in Him, I am a new creation. In Him, the old is gone and the new has come. In Him, but it is my decision whether I live in Him or not. And I want to pray specifically for parents and wannabe parents. For people who have kids, maybe your kids have left home. You know, Jacob had his God moment after he'd left home. It's not too late once your kids leave home for you to have a conversation of, you know what, there's this in our family and we can believe to break it. Maybe there's people, you've got younger kids, and maybe there's people you haven't had kids yet, but you want to have kids, and you say, Holy Spirit, help me see. Let me cut this thing off at Sarah so it doesn't get to Rebecca and Isaac and Jake. God, let me cut this thing off here so my kids and my grandkids don't struggle with the same stuff I struggle with. Holy Spirit, open my eyes to mindsets, 
to ways of thinking, to language I use. Holy Spirit, would you reveal, if, if that's you, you're either a parent that's had kids that's left home, you're a parent who's got kids at home, or you're a parent who wants to be a parent someday. If that's you, lift your hand up wherever you are. Come on, all over, wherever you are. Father, I pray for every person with their hand raised. I got both my hands raised. God, every day, would you help me see the things that the enemy is trying to put in my family lineage to limit and restrict the purposes of God. And God, help me every day to not live under condemnation, but to live with a conviction of the Holy Spirit to say, Holy Spirit, speak to me and I'll obey to the best of my ability to set up the generations to come with more freedom than I've ever had. In Jesus' name. this podcast from life if you have any questions or want to contact someone about this message visit lifeau.org